and gentlemen, to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner, and thanks for tuning in wherever you're listening to. Uh, this is the OTCD podcast. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. I am on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It is a lacrosse pun. This is a lacrosse show, and I am so, so very glad that you are here joining me on a busy, busy week after week three in the National Lacrosse. we got a great show for you. We're going to hear from John Grant Jr. a little bit later on as his Colorado Mammoth will head west this weekend to take on the Vancouver Stealth. The Mammoth are 3-0 and and the league leaders right now. And you could possibly say it's a bit of a surprise, but the way the year has gone and the way I think this year is going to go, there's not really going to be anything that we can classify as a surprise because this year is just going to be, I think, different than any other year. Toronto 0-3, Colorado 3-0, and Saskatchewan uncharacteristically losing a game in the fourth quarter at home for the Vancouver South to now become 1-1, and Saskatchewan's 1-1, Calgary is now on the win column, and we just don't even know what's going on in the East with New England, who plays a really good game and then an okay game and then a good game. And the same thing with the Swarm. They play two really good games and then they go and play a Sunday game and it kind of goes all out the window. So we gotta, gotta, we have a lot to get to. And we're going to try to talk about a bunch of things and we just kind of go as we flow here at OTCB and with the week four slowly upon us, we kind of have to look back, and again, we'll look back at what was week three in the NLL, starting with a Thursday nighter in Toronto, where the Rock lose at home 12-7 to Rochester. And after that game, I don't want to focus, there's two things I'm going to focus on in that game. One was the fight at the end of the game, and the other is Colin Doyle, the captain of the Toronto Rock's comments after that game. Now, let's focus on the fight first. And Rochester twice scoring under a minute after a rock goal. Oh, and Sorensen crushed. Hey, now. Whoa, Holstrauser. You talked about him wanting to throw down. Derek Searle with him, and Searle will still go. Got to get the mask off first. Holstrauser and Searle to end the game. Holstrauser was with the stealth before. And Holstrauser with some right crosses. Missing, Searle lands one as well, uppercuts, and takes him down! Woo! What a way to end the game! Alright, so that was the call uh, from Andy McNamara and Steven Stamp from the ACC Thursday night. So when you watch the game film, and you watch that clip, you see two things, or a few things. The play gets blown in, Paul Dawson has the ball. Center floor, Derek Searle standing right next to... Uh, Brock Sorensen, and Billy Hostros is on the other side of Searle. Sorensen makes the first contact with Searle, cross-checks him on the arm. Who cares? It happens every shift. So what does Searle do? He goes right back at him, puts his sticks up, gloves up, as my old coach and friend Tommy Black used to say, and got right in Brock Sorensen's face. Did his stick get a little high? Yeah, sure it did. But it happens pretty much every shift in every lacrosse game of senior level anywhere. Brock? actually embellishes the fact of how not strong the hit was from Searle and flops to the ground. And in no way 
Are these comments by Jamie Dowick justified, in my opinion? We got some rookie punk dirtying our guy from behind. So I'm glad he got his ass kicked. He deserved it. And he took a few shots, and yeah, they got the win, but you know what? He's got to earn the right to be dirtying guys after the whistle when they beat us by five. So I, I hope his face is a little sore right now. So that's Jamie Dowick after that first game on Thursday night. And again, I can understand the heat of the battle and your team is now 0-2 and you just lost at home to one of your rivals. He's not a rookie punk. He didn't hit Sorensen from behind. He didn't even dirty him. He was just... He got hit, sticks up, gloves up, Hostrosser came at him. So that's my first issue with that game. You know what? I have no problem with what happened at the end of that game. It's two teams, and I've played in that rivalry before, that do not like each other. And especially when a lot of those guys play against each other in the major series of the cross league in the summer, there's going to be bad, bad blood. There's going to be emotion. And it's good to see that. It deserves to be done sometimes, and those are instances when I'm okay with it. As Don Cherry always says, two good Canadian kids not hurting anybody but themselves. Now, the comments from Colin Doyle after the game were really telling about, you know, how his team needs to improve and what they need to do, because scoring seven goals isn't going to win you many lacrosse games. And they've pretty much done it every game already this year. So... His comments were, if our team is going to be successful, we have to, have to get to the middle of the floor. So, they go to Rochester two days later. They don't get to the middle of the floor. They don't have any offensive presence. They don't have any pressure. And all their guys continually go down the alleys and turn away from the net. And what happens? For the third game in a row, they score seven goals. And they get beat up in Rochester again. And they are 0-3 for the first time in a long time. And there's a lot of questions to be had in Toronto. How important is Josh Sanderson to that team? Well, obviously massively important. But hopefully, for Josh's sake, this isn't going to turn into Jamie Dowick burning his phone and saying, hey, man, we need you. Slow-footed or not, not feeling it or not, we need you. Because that's not going to help. That offense already has the talent to get to the middle of the floor. Hellier, Hickey, Lintner, Doyle. Kevin Ross is on the IR, but if he can come back, that's another presence. Casey Beerns is the guy they really need to get going. He's got three go points, not even three goals, three points. And he's only played in two games. It's been a long time since he was a healthy scratch. I think it looked up, it was like four years since he'd been a scratch for the Rock. So, I don't think it's time to panic for the Toronto Rock. But, I think they need to figure out something really, really quick. Their D looks old and slow. Miller and Rose aren't playing to the best of their ability. You know, they miss Scott Johnson and Damon Edwards immensely on the back end. But this is a team that was in the NLL title game last year. So I don't think it's time to panic and start, you know, the sky is falling. But if that team is, is going to turn things around, they got to go to Buffalo this weekend. Like, it doesn't get any easier. But I would expect 
that you see a fired-up Toronto Rock team this weekend. And if they aren't fired up, well, if they go to Buffalo this weekend and get absolutely trounced on Saturday night, I don't even want to know what's going to happen. Like, it is going to be a paint-stripping yelling session from John Lovell and company in that locker room. Toronto doesn't go 0-4, man. It's happened once. They don't go 0-4. But the way they're playing, they're averaging seven goals a game. Even. Seven goals a game. And they need to turn around right quick. Very much so, like the Vancouver Stealth did, after getting absolutely embarrassed at home by the Black Wolves in their home opener. And I think I said it on this podcast last week, that the best thing for the Stealth was to get away from the LEC. Get on the road. I'd rather them have like three weeks off right now and just three road games. Boom, boom, boom. Get away from the LEC. Get your confidence back. Get your team going and build a bond. And I think they did that last weekend when they went to Edmonton and knocked off the defending champs. I said it. They went to Saskatchewan, not Edmonton. Okay, give me a break. It happens. It's really hard. I played there. They've been there for 10 years. I find it hard to say Saskatchewan still. But they go to Saskatchewan, and it's freezing cold. It's like minus 26. Like, that's got to be some fun stuff, getting off, getting off that plane from BC weather. And then it's minus 26. You've never been there before. It's an eye-opener, let me tell you. But Vancouver was able to look at the game film. They inserted a couple different pieces. Durston got in, and he was fantastic. Beers came in, and he really settled that D down. And they're starting to play Kyle Sorensen's jump pressure D system. And you could, when I watched the game two weekends ago in Vancouver, I could hear Kyle Sorensen every defensive shift yelling for his guys to step up. Step up, step up, step up, step up. Every shift. Like all defensive shift long, yelling at guys to step up and pressure. Well, they didn't do it. And what it did was it allowed New England to get in close to fire at will, and they weren't pressured. Well, finally, Sorensen got them all on the same page, and they played a defensive system that Saskatchewan usually plays. And it threw the rush for a loop. And it was an incredible game, and hopefully that results in more fans going back to the Sastel Center in two weeks. But it was nice to see Vancouver turn things around. It helped that Eric Penny was stopping shots because he wasn't just, you know, Guys weren't right on top of him and having free open shots. The shots that he was facing were clean looks and from way out. And he made some really big, timely saves. It also helped that Corey Small decided to go from Cringer to Battle Cat and score five goals, and I think four straight at one point, to really turn that game around for the stealth. Now, here's the thing. The Stealth get to come back home to the LEC. It'd be interesting to see how many fans show up after what happened two weeks ago. And as we've seen in the past with this club, if you're not winning, the fans aren't showing up. So let's hope that people have forgotten about 17-7 to and they'll focus on 13-11 and show up because John Grant Jr., Adam Jones... Jeremy Noble, 
Callum Crawford, my boy Chris Wardle, and the Colorado Mammoth are coming to town, and that offense is averaging like 16,000 goals a game. Seriously, you want to know how many goals they've put up? 16 in the first game, 16 in the second game, 15 in their third game. And Vancouver has gone 7, and then they went to 13. So they're going on a trending scale, which is good. But you better be on your A game when the Mammoth come to town because, let me tell you, they are on fire right now. Like, they are in track meets, and I think that could be a really good thing for the fans at the LEC is if this is a track meet, just like the game that was in Saskatchewan last weekend, just like the Buffalo-Colorado game this weekend. Track meets are incredible lacrosse. Like, a 7-6 game, those are good games because, you know, they're really tough, stalwart defensive games, and the goalies are usually great, and there's usually chances at both ends. But when you get to watch a 16-15 overtime or a 17-15 game, whatever it may be, when there's 30 goals being scored, like, I'm sorry, goalie union, but it's good for lacrosse. It is good for lacrosse. So the Mammoth will come to town this weekend to the LEC to take on the Vancouver Stealth. The other games this weekend, there's only there's only two games this weekend. I'm like trying to be prophetic and say like there's 80 games this weekend. We had a really nice weekend last weekend where there were six. There's only two games this weekend. They're both on Saturday. Toronto at Buffalo, 7.30 Eastern. Calgary at Vancouver, 7 p.m. Pacific time. I'll be at that Colorado-Vancouver game because I want to see how this Vancouver team handles being at home and handles an offense like Colorado's. It's going to be a big test for them. It's going to be a big test for their offense because Colorado has an athletic defense. But my one concern about the Mammoth is what happens if their offense does go dry or if they have a bad night. And their, their defense, like we talk about their offense and how they're putting up 16, 16, and 17. Their defense has given up 14, 16, and 14. Like, their defense is suspect. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for them, their offense have been that much better. You know, Junior scored the OT winner or the, the game winner with under a minute to go in their first game against Georgia. Their second game in Rochester, they were down 4 nothing, and then outscored them 16-10 over the last three quarters. And then they take on Buffalo, and it's an absolute shootout, and Mike Burke scores the OT winner in what was an incredible lacrosse game. So, you know, we rave about this offense, but that defense, it has some questions. And we'll have to wait and see what the three-headed monster of Stroop, Coyle, and Gilly the coaching staff of the Mammoth have prepared for this weekend. Speaking of the Mammoth, now joining us here on the OTC podcast is uh, my good friend, a former teammate, former Pink Palace resident, and one of the greatest lacrosse players to ever pick up a stick. Number three all time on the NLL all time 30 list. He is none other than John Grant Jr. Johnny, how are you, my friend? Not too bad. Yeah. Loving, uh, loving life right now out in Colorado. Another beautiful sunny day. Uh, about to coach a practice for my high school team out here, and uh, 
you know, a little PT this morning and some lunch and a couple of meetings. But, uh, yeah, l- l- lax on, lax on, lax, buddy. <laughs> it's, it's the way of the world of John Grant Jr. these days. Listen, you're, a, you're a really busy man. Well, I'm trying to. Uh, spent like 20 years not being too busy, just playing <laughs> lacrosse on the weekends, but uh, yeah. I had to grow up and get a real job. So if you can exactly. call this a real, yeah. if you can call this a real job, Absolutely. some people uh, wouldn't, but <laughs> I have to be here and I'm paid to be here. So it's a job. You're not going to complain. And if you did, nobody would listen anyway. No, I'm not going to complain about being a full-time lacrosse coach. I mean, who yeah. would listen to that? You're, you're with Valor Christian. We're going to get into that in a bit because it's, it's a great opportunity for you. And you've had some success already, but, the Mammoths are off to a hot 3 and 0 start. What's been the success for you guys? Uh, the ball's been dropping for us. I mean, I think we're the highest scoring team in the league and, you know, I think we've had what 16, 16 and 15. So, yeah. um, helps when uh, you have a guy like Adam Jones who throws the ball at the net and it goes in yeah. like almost every time. Um, so and then, you know, we I think we added uh Mr. Wardle from from Devil's Island, who's been awesome for us on the left side, creating some space. The guy's motor is incredible, and yeah. as much as it pains me to compliment a guy from the <laughs> island, but, uh, you know how that goes. But uh, I do. Yeah, you know, and Eli McLaughlin's been came in 20 pounds heavier of muscle this year, and yeah. was able to to do some things physically he couldn't do last year. And what can I say on the other side? You know, you bring a Callum Crawford in and. You know, just a casual nine assists the other night, and you know we're uh, you know we've got a pretty potent attack. It's just whether or not we can put the ball in the net um, consistently week after week and uh, go from there. You, you kind of have to thank your GM Steve Govett for bringing in some extra pieces that you guys hadn't had to to make this offense as unique as it is. And you guys have found chemistry right away. Has, has there been one thing, or is it just everybody buying in? Well, I mean, the coaches have been trying to implement a system for a couple of years now, but, yeah. you know, it's tough to implement a system without all the pieces necessary to make that system work. And, yeah. you know, for us on the left side, we've needed some guys that were willing to, to do some of the grunt work and, and, and get some space open for, well, it seems to be more Jonesy than me these days. I'm yeah. just getting in the way as the old guy. But <laughs> And, you know, a kind of a general on the right side that can – that can hold the ball, look for guys to be open, and has the size to, yeah. to do that. Um, big goal by Burke on the weekend, but he, you know, he's coming into camp in better shape and shooting very well. And you know, I think Jeremy Noble, there will not be a sophomore slump with him. I mean, he no. uh, getting a full year under his belt this year. I think he, the sky's the limit with that kid too. This is a, a group that is run by a committee. There's no one guy, and, and, and everybody feeds off that, but. Is it really cool to see what some of these young guys are doing? Now, you've been in the league for long enough to see the evolution of lacrosse and just the way these guys are coming in ready to play fresh out of college or or, or not even have gone to college of some of the things these guys can do. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I used to, back in the day, guys would come to training camp to get in shape, and now (laughs) this is a full year, this is a full year thing now. I mean, there's different leagues that everyone plays in, and um, it, it really is full time for the, yeah. the safe, the guys have personal trainers wherever they're living or if they're living in their home city, you know, the team takes care of that. So, you know, training camp is basically like season, you know, mm-hmm. once you kind of get through some of the cuts and, and get down to your, to your roster, it, it's go time. So I think that helps, especially a fly as opposed to kind of feeling it out and, and getting used to each other. 
it's not like 2001 and 2 when we were in Rochester and just making fun of wi- lifting weights and not doing anything as we sat on the couch. Yeah, well, I'll <laughs> say you did more of that than me. but uh, hey, I earned that role. I was good at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I was able to do that and still get 50 or 60 goals a year, but um, that that's kind of stopped as I get older. I actually have to train now, which yeah. – I, you know, I'm not going to say I love it, but no, I, <laughs> it, it just, that's just the way it is now. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, you had a few guys on each team that lifted weights and wore tight shirts and warm up and yeah, they're usually yeah. the ones that were getting made fun of in the early yeah. night, you know, absolutely. But now you come in out of shape, you don't play nine no. teams with 18 guys on a roster. I mean, it's, it's cut down. I mean, and you, it, yeah, and, there's and, no, no excuses for it now. So no. and you found yourself like you had to change your game, you know, Ever since the injury in 2009, you've really had to change everything about your diet, your health, the, your preparation, and your workout. How, how big has that helped your game and the longevity of it? Well, I, I think the first time I blew my knee in Rochester, you know, yeah. then I re- realized, you know, what I was doing and what I wasn't doing. And really to prepare to come back in, you know, five and a half, six months to play and win my first man cup, like I learned – that training and how important it was and that diet and all that stuff. So it really started then. And, you know, I had to, you know, kind of continue that through. And before I got sick in 09, I, I literally was playing, you know, 60, 60, 70 games a year. If you add all yeah. the leagues and everything together, like there was some summers I was playing 45 games in 90 days. So yeah. you, you, you're definitely in shape and you stay in shape. You kind of wither down, but yeah. you know, after 09 and that, you know, when they told me I wasn't going to play anymore, or, you know, almost died, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I really had to be more dedicated to it because, I mean, that happened when I'm in my mid-30s. When yeah. most people are retiring, you know, I'm trying to reinvent myself again. So it's yeah. kind of it's kind of been three careers for me, so to speak. You know, pre-04 injury, then I had my glory kind of years of 04 to 09. Yeah. Um, and then had to start over again in 09 and, and – come out to Colorado and do everything all over again. So kind of it keeps me invigorated because I, the challenge of trying to get myself ready to play is what, you know, is really driving me. I like how you kind of brush off the fact that you kind of almost died. Um, <laughs> how cool, well, like, I don't know if people really understand the severity of the position that you were in. How, like, how severe was it? Well, they, my family were called to say goodbye. Um, wow. That, that's as, as, as severe as it gets. <laughs> yeah. And then when they realized the infection was mainly destroying my knee and my cadaver ACL graft, they're like, well, yeah. we'll just chop his leg off. And my wife said, no, <laughs> no don't don't bother doing that. Yeah. I mean, we that, need, that a, we need kill... dance moves, yeah. Yeah, well, that, you know, she knows. I mean, that <laughs> would have killed me anyways. So. Yeah. They, uh, the doctors, as baffled as they were, they they fought hard for me that week, and and I was able to pull through. And like the, you know, I'm trying to sneak out to play a game seven against Brampton while I'm going in for a, <laughs> yeah. a surgery. Um, but yeah, it was I think I had four scopes that week, and then an ACL removal, and I was on Jeez. in the hospital for a month, antibiotics for four months, and then I got yeah. the ACL put back in like five months later, and then same thing, came back in five and a half months to play. Um, for Peterborough and the Nationals, like a mor- <laughs> like a moron, but you did it. I did it. Yeah, you did. That was my drive. That was my driving force. Like I'm yeah. like, don't tell me I won't play. I'll yeah. I'm I'll decide. So, I mean, <laughs> I'll decide. Yeah. I mean, I'll pay for it for the rest of my life. But absolutely, um, it's 
you know, it's been rewarding to be able to come back and do that after being told that I wasn't going to be able to do it again, right? Yeah. Um, after all the work that you put in to get back to where you were, and, like, you know, when I saw you a few years after that, you were in the best shape that I had seen you ever. And then the man cup in Peterborough happens against Langley, and, and the drug testing out of the blue happens, and people are starting to question you. Did that hurt when people were kind of coming at you, when you had all the doctor's clearances for everything that you were on? Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, like I said, I went through, you know, some pretty terrifying things through that. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, I'm still not fully recovered. I mean, that, yeah. like I said, when you go to the brink of death, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to do everything I can to to gain my health back and, yeah. you know, my mental health. And a lot of things were, were really destroyed in the process. So, you know, this is something I'm going to have to deal with the rest of my life. And, you know, obviously... I I was a little devastated and hurt that people were assuming I was cheating. But mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I've I've been fairly successful my whole life, so you know nothing really changed. It's just yeah. I had to do what was best for my, well, basically to live and to yeah. keep my yeah. family, and uh, you know, so obviously the devastation of not being able to play in the worlds was was yeah. the ultimate one. But you know, obviously Canada won, and I was able to use that in my ability to coach and being a mm-hmm. you know still an editor of the help me while still holding on to the other one, which has been yeah. kind of a dream for me right now. Um, that, that that kind of propelled you into this Fowler job, didn't it? When you, when you well, weren't working with Team Canada, it kind of helped you kind of move into that role a bit? Well, I mean, I it's something I considered doing was coaching. You know, I've done a lot for a long time yeah, with travel teams stuff, and yeah. camps. But yeah. I'm, you know, I'm trying to raise a family, and and I'm really just sick of living out of a suitcase. Yeah. Um. You know, the camp life's tough, especially you know, at 40 years old to go get a pack a knapsack and a lacrosse stick and literally travel the country for eight weeks mm-hmm. in the summertime when most people are like relaxing, having family time. Yeah. Yeah. So this opportunity came up to to really pour into these kids and and this place, um, and then that for them to repay me after a great first year, uh, you know, making this a full time job like this yeah. could be something I do for you know the rest of my life, so to speak. But yeah. you know, I love it here. The place is awesome, and um, you know, to be able to kind of give on a daily basis my expertise and, and experience from what I've gone through my whole life to these to these you know young guys that are looking yeah. to do the same thing it's been something i didn't really know i wanted so much yeah i actually got there and something kind of changed in me when I this place and you know redeveloped my spiritual side that you know kind of was missing throughout my 20s and 30s you know as growing up a catholic so yeah it's kind of you know transformed me into being the kind of the guy i am now like super super family oriented and like i said i want to be home and i you know, I still have to go travel at times to do camps and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I bought a home like five minutes from the school and it's, awesome. uh, you know, re- really ingrained myself in the, in the culture down here in Highlands Ranch. So it's been quite amazing. Uh, you, you talk a lot about the family life and, and Reagan's been a part of your life ever since I've known you in the early 2000s and well before that. But, you know, she's been a rock by her side through good times and bad. Um, how has she been supporting you through this whole process? Well, she's been pretty, pretty amazing. Obviously, anyone that knows us, it's been a roller coaster. I mean, 20 yeah. years, uh, you know, with a professional athlete has its challenges, and she's uprooted herself more than once to accommodate yeah. my career. We moved to Rochester together, you know, where you know we knew you, and then obviously she started teaching there, and then we, you know, got traded and moved 
out to Colorado, but she loves it out here. She uh, got a real estate license last year. Yeah. And I think she's crushed like seven houses, seven, <laughs> seven, um, seven p- properties in like 10 months. So wow. she's found her calling. And like I said, our little one is, uh, enjoying herself at a school in Highlands Ranch. So things are, things are pretty, pretty amazing around here right now. How has Gabby changed your life having a daughter? Well, I mean, obviously, the hand syndrome had to go away. I mean, I was afforded a pretty fun lifestyle, like go to Hawaii every year or go to wherever I wanted to go through lacrosse, relatively always for free and, you know, could come and go as I choose. And like I said, I could go away for six weeks to work and make good money or go on vacations here, there, and everywhere else. But, you know, obviously... She's the love of my life, and I want to spend time with her and be at home. So, if anything, it's just, it's really made me appreciate the opportunity I have to be in one place at home, be home by five, six o'clock at night to have dinner, and yeah. you know, drive her to school. Her school is like three minutes from mine. Awesome. So it, it it's really awesome. Um, how's Pearl Jam doing these days? Still at the top of your playlist? Well, yeah, they just released their tour dates for 2016, but they're not coming to Denver. So Dan Carey and myself are looking at opportunities <laughs> to try to find them somewhere on their journey. So yeah. I've been looking at all my schedules, Valor, <laughs> Mammoth, Outlaws. Yeah, yeah. So we'll find them somewhere. We'll but, uh, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's the good thing about him coming back out here to Colorado. He's uh, he's always been one another PJ fanatic like myself, so – we were on the phone, I think, at nine o'clock this morning when the when the, when the schedule came out. So. Yeah, um, you, you talk about that, Carrie. Uh, I talked to Steve Govett about him, and he says he's just fit in naturally there. Oh, he's been awesome. He's a real like kind of ground, like just grounded and able to almost you know be there for Steve, be there for the coaches to do a lot of the analytics. Yeah. That, you know, obviously our coaches don't have time to do. I mean, they've got full-time jobs in British Columbia. And, you know, for Steve to dedicate the time and resources to do that, I mean, that's the way sports are going now, yeah. you know, to to have someone fully ingrained in scouting and scouting other teams and, you know, doing all that necessary work that mm-hmm. hopefully um, will continue to pay off for us. It seems like it has oh, so far. I mean, look at our, uh, you know, our draft picks weren't, high by any means and they made the squad and you know look at Bryce Sweeting scores in his first first game which he he, which he uh, chirped a fellow Burrow guy (laughs) Mr. Hope took him 21 games so he I don't think we left the dressing room before he said wow it only took me one game Hopey what's wrong with you (laughs) so uh, you know Jordan Gillies another guy fourth fifth round he's got two goals already and so you know the the fact that they bring in like a Wardle and you know to go out and, and and get Callum. Um, yeah. So we just got to, you know, they put the pieces together. Now it's it's time for That's us to put it. Uh, it's a big trip for you guys out west this week to Vancouver to take on the Stealth. Um, they've kind of had an up and down their first two games. But uh, what are your thoughts going into this weekend? Uh, hopefully, you guys be 4 up. Well, I mean, we you know, we've been battling these guys. Every year, tooth and nail, it seems like we we steal one in their barn, or they steal one in ours, or they've ended. I think they ended a three and zero run on us last year. So it's yeah. we just keep you know getting in each other's way. You know we're always trying to climb up to the Calgary Edmonton, and uh, we just keep knocking each other down a peg. So they're they're battles, and uh, what can I say? They got they got some firepower on offense that we're going to have to be very very aware of. Um, 
So, you know, obviously that's going to be something we're going to heavily work on with film this week. And obviously they got some big monsters on D that don't really like to get a, let us get to the net. So, yeah. you know, there's usually three or four times that we've got to pick our helmets off the ground <laughs> after going through the middle. So, you know, it used to be one or two guys in the league that were 220, 230. Now it seems like every team every in the league guy, yeah. has one guy that's not 200 pounds, which yeah. really stinks. But <laughs> Um, you know, he's got to stay away from one guy. To, now I I can't even find a guy yeah, that isn't yeah. bigger and stronger than me. So it, it's the new age of of the NLL where there's monsters on every shift in that back door. Oh, it's yeah, it's ridiculous, and they're faster, and they're stronger, yeah. and they're younger, and you know it's uh, you know now you know that's why really we had you know Tavares in last week, and really just so appreciative and you know, admiring of what he's been able to do at his age. Just He just yeah. found a way to outthink his opponents. When, you yeah. know, the the physical stuff goes away, you just got to really, really try to think three, four steps ahead. And for me, <laughs> thinking's not usually a part of my game. It's just his <laughs> instinct. So it's yeah. uh, it's been interesting to try to think the game through, but that's really the only chance I have to still compete. Um. Since 2000, you've been in this league for a long time. We won't say your age. That's okay. Um, but how has John Grant changed as a player? Um, he's changed. Like I said, he's changed like a bunch of times. Um, you know, I remember getting uh, sitting down with. It's kind of funny. All the guys that I played my first couple of years in this league with are all like highest level coaches in yeah. Rochester, Calgary, Buff, Amit, all of yeah. them. All these guys know me intimately as far as how I work, how I think the game, my tendencies. So it's it's almost unfair to a certain extent because these guys know me more than anybody, and mm-hmm. i got to deal with it every weekend, like Rochester, yeah. Calgary. But, yeah. um, you know, I remember sitting down with Kurt Malowski, Dewey Jacobs, and Chugger. Yeah. But, you know, three in the morning in Philadelphia after a loss of my rookie year, and they are like – I don't, we don't. We know what you were about, but you can't be like this anymore. Like we're good players too. Yeah. You got to move the ball. You got to, you know. And it, you know, there was some tears shed, and it was mm-hmm. a grown. It was a real grown-up moment for me, where I had to be like, you know, really start to think about team lacrosse. I never played with such talented players really before. Yeah. Um. You know, there's some dry years there in Peterborough. I'm not putting anyone down there, but no, no. Um. I, you know, that year we went from one and two, and then. Went undefeated and then lost, obviously, with a second to go in Maple Leaf Gardens where, you know, my life kind of changed. I'm like, yeah. where, like, this is this is what I want to do. Like, the league was kind of picking up then in 2000. And then, obviously, you know, as we go through, you know, we spent some time. So you know what those guys are like, like just tremendous leaders, like Sean Williams, Hazer, yeah. you know. Zaffers. You just go down the list. Each one yeah. of these guys is yeah. on, on a staff somewhere or is just you know in the hall of fame already and so much i learned so much from those guys where i you know i didn't really have to do any leading i could focus on just me and playing and you know it wasn't until i kind of left rochester and came here was like the old guy with a bunch of young kids that barely played where i had to seriously step outside of myself and really try to teach and Mm -hmm. and empower these guys and mentor these kids that are like half my age so you know, I went through some years there where I was desperate to be the captain and wanted to do all that. Now it's kind of something where I want to – I got to spend so much time focusing on just getting myself ready to play yeah. um, physically that I – you know, and 
they've got such great leadership with these, you know, coats and holding and these, you know, 25 to 30 year old kids. But now I'm left with just trying to focus on just being ready to play. Like, you know, traveling is not the easiest for me and, you know, practices. Sometimes I, I can do it and sometimes I can't. So, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed that Govett and the coaching staff are, you know, accepting of that and allowing me to do what I need to do to play. And I guess as long as I'm still kind of contributing, then that, that will keep continue. So it's kind of strange how it's kind of ebbed and flowed over the years where it's been really just about leading and then not leading and taking a back seat and then, you know, really trying to grow the game. And now really just this year, you know, now I'm not working with the mammoths and, I'm doing this thing at Valor, and I kind of go in there, and I've just got a love for it again. That it's just, awesome. I'm so blessed to be able to still play. So, it's a, it's a fantastic journey that you've been on through. As we talked about the highs and lows, the injuries, the championships, um, everything, and now you're able to give back, and, and you're with the Valor group, and you're a family man. It's been a it's been a pleasure to watch your career over the years. Um, one last question for you: Cracklin' Rosie or Sweet Caroline? Which is it? Which is your go-to? I'd have to say Sweet Caroline because that was a Delaware. That was a Delaware yeah. tune too. That yeah. capped off every every Saturday night at a certain restaurant. <laughs> touching me, touching you. What can I say? Cracklin' Rosie and Kurt Malowski, I mean, the yeah. times we had as as a group there in Roch, like the closest group of guys I could ever, ever have played with. And, you know, now it's kind of hit or miss because I know Kurt and I, I mean, what, he's knocked me out of the playoffs every year I've been here <laughs> yeah. except for one. Yeah. So it's hard to really reminisce with a guy whose sole goal is to shoot. Shut you down. <laughs> uh, I would look forward to when my retirement comes is kind of getting back and, you know, kind of sitting down with those guys that yeah, I'm absolutely. now battling every week with and just kind of thanking them for everything they've kind of done for me to get me where I am. So, But you can't really toot a guy's horn right before you're about to play him by any means. <laughs> well, you guys got Vancouver this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a great matchup. I'll see you at the rink. But it's been a – we have to also thank you for everything you've done for the game, Johnny. It's been a pleasure. And, Thanks for taking some time today to talk with us. No problem, buddy. I'll see you uh, Saturday. There is John Grant Jr., member of the Colorado Mammoth, number three all-time in the NLL top 30 of 30 years, which was voted on by voting members of the media. I don't really want to get into that, but there was some, I don't know. When I was given the opportunity to vote, um, I was happy about it. I thought it was a great idea done by the National Lacrosse League to honor a lot of these greats from the past. The only issue I had, um, some names were left off. Some names were on and I didn't think they should have been on, especially a lot of um, newer generation guys. Yeah, they're great. But when you look at 30 best all time, I don't know if some of those guys um, really even stood a chance. And it really took away from some of the work that some older guys did from, you know, the early, early NLL days. I don't think they took into thought about too many mill guys of the M-I-L-L where it was all spandex and rock and roll all the time. But I just thought that it was unfortunate because I don't know how many people who were voting, because there's a lot of 
as we add more teams, there becomes newer voting members, and those members don't always or haven't always seen 30-plus years of NLL action. So when you ask somebody to vote and they see a name like Brian Langtree, Tim Sudan, um, Dallas Elliott, Reggie Thorpe, Pat Coyle, Kevin Finneran, like some of these names that were on that list that either didn't make it or were further down the list than I thought they could have been or should have been. And I think that's because a lot of these newer voting members have only seen guys from the past five, ten years. So kudos to the NLL for doing it. It's just unfortunate, from, in my opinion, that some of the names that were left off or on that list didn't get the recognition they deserved. My other issue with it, with it was was the fact that when they were unveiling these names, like all the guys got were a couple lines and a few stats. I really, really wish they would revisit this and take each guy. And and this is one of the things that the new commissioner, Nick Sakevich, has kind of made a precedent or, or made a, a, um, an important part of his platform going forward is is getting a database for all the history of the NLL. So what I would what I was hoping was going to happen was that when they unveiled the top 30 like each guy was going to get a little 1 2 minute video clip of highlights and, and people talking about them and like a little write up on each guy of what they meant to the game who they played for, what they did, what they're doing now. And again, more quotes from people who they played with, who they played against. Like, really celebrate these guys. Instead, it just kind of seemed like the NLO was like, okay, here, vote for it. Just throw some names in. And then we'll just kind of announce it. Just seemed lackluster to me. And not really fitting of... 30 years of greatness. Like if the NLL did this or, or NFL or one of the big fives, this would have been drawn out and everybody would have had a video and you would have heard from each guy and you would have heard from their coaches or players or teammates. Because that's how you really celebrate guys. Not just Lewis Ratcliffe, 347 games or whatever his stat line was and 287 goals and 62 playoff assists, whatever. It, it just seemed, I don't know. Like, I don't want to harp too much on this, but I just wish it was done better. That's all. Because it totally should have been and totally could have been. It wouldn't have been that hard. Like, it really wouldn't have been that hard to take each guy, call him up, say, hey, you know, give us some thoughts on being named to the top 30. And then call that guy's captain when he was playing or one of his coaches and say, hey, give me a quote on Chris Gill or give me a quote on Tom Marichuk. Give me a quote on the greatest player of all time, Gary Gate. Like, I don't know. It just just rubs me the wrong way, that's all. But again, this is one of the things that CNS Commissioner Nick Sakevich wants to start. And one thing that I would love for us to do is... Heck, I would love to be able to go back and watch all my goals. There weren't many. I think most of them are on one game film. 
That was my second game in Rochester. Shout out, seven points. Yep. Stupid Corey Bomberry getting seven points and taking my full player of the game award. Silly Mike Miron making like 67 saves for Columbus and taking away Rookie of the Week from me. Damn you guys. But we move on. And move on we shall. And we now go towards what I'm going to call the Man Award. It's like a Player of the Week award, but let's give the guys some credit. They were the man. He was the man. And so here is this week's Man of the Week. Well, you can tell everybody, yeah, you can tell everybody, go ahead and tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, yes I am, yes I am, yes I am, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, I believe every Cody Jameson is the man this week, he played two games and really put to rest anybody's questioning if he's okay from that Achilles tendon injury he suffered in the playoffs last year for the Nighthawks. He really dedicated himself and he really has gone above the call of duty to make sure that he is at his absolute best. He didn't play at all during the summer. He could have if he wanted to, I think. However, he worked his ass off and decided to get in the best shape he's been in, committed to fitness, committed to, you know, because some guys, we kind of heard John Grant talk about it. You know, you can be at a high level, but as soon as you get injured, it takes work to get back to that level. And even if you get back to the level you were at before the injury, you're probably not going to be the same because your body's going to react differently. So you even have to go to a higher level. And Jammer has done that. He is, as I said, in the best shape of his life. He took the time to not rush back. He wanted to make sure he was ready for when the NLL season started. And he is back with a vengeance. He had five goals and 13 assists in two games this weekend. And he, like, it was just so good. Like, when you watch him play, and, and now because, you know, as, as he said and Steven Stamp said in his three stars of the week, that Cody's the lightest he's ever been. And in three games, he's got 25 points, seven goals, 18 assists. He's, he's on pace to smash Evie's record. I said at the beginning of the year, I don't think people are going to touch that for a while, but, like, who knows? A full year of Cody Jameson doing this, he very well might. I don't know if he can keep it up, but I didn't think Evie would get 130. But when you watch Jammer play, he's unselfish, he's gritty, he goes to the dirty areas, and he just has one of the sweetest twisters you're ever going to see. Standing, moving his feet, with an angle, without an angle. He just can flat out shoot the ball. He can absolutely pace top corners or he can fool you with the changeup and get goalies looking like sieves. But man, was he absolutely on fire this weekend. And so for that, Cody Jameson is the man. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Well, you can tell everybody. 
That's right, it's jammer time. He's just so good. Like, just if you watch the next time Rochester plays uh, next weekend, because uh, they have this weekend off as do pretty much every team except for four. Um, but their next game is week five when they host Georgia at home. And just just sit and watch. Like, usually when I watch games, I'll watch for the most part, and I'll watch the whole game. But then I like to watch specific guys, guys maybe I haven't seen before or seen a lot of, and just focus on what they do to make them as good as they are. Watch Cody Jamison play. Just watch his movements and watch how he will fight for loose balls and, and keep his feet moving and watch his stick work and the little things that he does. Watch all the greats in the league. And just watch the little things that they do to make them even better. And Jammer put that on full display this weekend in the two games for Rochester as they knocked off Toronto twice. And Rochester is slowly, slowly starting to assert their dominance out west. Out west. I'm an idiot sometimes. Out east. Um, and, you know, they're 2-1 and one with New England. And when those two teams lock up, it's always a good little battle. And now that Evie's, now that Evie's back out east, it's just, just makes for some good lacrosse. So, keep an eye on. And like I said, just sometimes when you watch games, just pick a guy to watch, and see what he does that makes him so good. And Jammer is one of those guys that you really want to watch, because I love watching the guy play. Like he's just so good. I love watching Evie play. I love watching Reese Dutch play. Um, Adam Jones Jr. Callum I've become a big fan of just because he's so tall and, and smooth. He's very Dan Dawson-like. Um, I've really taken a liking to watching Graham Hossick play. I'd never, I've never really seen him play. I've, I've watched him a few times online. Um, I, I really need to see him live in person. Um, guys like Defenders, you know, some of these really, like Sid Smith is a guy. It's funny because I don't think Sid Smith gets enough recognition for how good he is. And you know why? Because sometimes you don't notice him. Sometimes I, you watch a game. Rory Glaves was the same way. And you'll watch him, and you'll watch the Rochester player. Watch, and sometimes you won't even see a guy out there. But yet, he's had an effective game, a shutdown game. And you're like... I didn't even notice Sid Smith out there. But then if you just watch him and you watch him move and, and how he orchestrates that defense and the amount of balls he knocks down and the amount of balls he picks off, same with Rubish. Like some of these guys that are playing the game right now are at such a high level, such a high level that it's just so good to watch. And, you know, now thanks to, TSN, Fox Sports Go, and ESPN3. You can watch every game. It's great. Sometimes the video feed's not the greatest. Saskatchewan, for example. That's, that was really unfortunate. I mean, like, this is how I meander. This is how my brain moves. It just goes from thought to thought. It's great. I love it. Um, and this will probably be my last big thought before we get out of here. Uh, the, the game in Saskatchewan, Vancouver versus Saskatchewan was a fantastic game and they had just over 9,000 people in Saskatel and they saw a fantastic matchup. Um, they saw two great teams going back and forth. Unfortunately, their home team didn't win, but 
let's hope all that excitement and energy and and pomp and circumstance really goes to bringing fans back uh, next weekend. But for those of us who weren't there and had to watch, it was unfortunate that the stream was choppy. And at times it was tough to watch. Because it was a great lacrosse game. So that's one of the other things that you know the league needs to work on is to make sure that if we are, you know, if we can't get a full-on every game on some sort of TV deal, and we are going to continue streaming games, which I'm fine with. Like, I love it. I can take my laptop. I can watch it in a coffee shop, on my couch, on my balcony, on the ferry in my car. Like, I can watch a lacrosse game wherever I want on my computer. It's great. I love it. It's unfortunate that sometimes that, you know, it's choppy or or the feed drops like it was doing it in Georgia this past weekend too, you know. I, I'm i not a tech guy. I, I don't know if there's an easy fix. I don't know if it's simply that, you know, we have to have teams streaming at a higher bandwidth or, or maybe it's because there's too many people watching. I, I don't know. I don't know why that happens. But if this is going to be the way the league goes, they need to find a way to make it as seamless as possible. And the quality has to be unbelievable. It's unfortunate, um, and you can read this in my 30-second shot clock this week on Isle Indoor. It's unfortunate that not every arena has HD-quality cameras and has HD-quality lighting because that also takes away from it. Like when I was at the Stealth game the other week, here I go again rambling, um, when I was at the Stealth game the other week, you know, in person, it looks great. It's bright. Um, it's good sight lines, but then when I went and watched the plays of the week back and I actually saw how dark the LEC looks, I was like, I, I, I immediately texted Jumbo, Jake Elliott. And I said, dude, we got to do something like about the cameras at the LEC. Cause it looked horrible. And he's like, they've tried. There's nothing they can do. Dark turf, dark boards. There's gotta be something you can do. And it doesn't help that the way the lighting is set up there, but like, and that goes, like, Rochester's the worst. It's always been that way. Like, just dim lighting, no HD, and it doesn't translate well to TV or to internet. So much so that Terry Pagula, the, Terry Pagula, the owner of the Sabres, who are owners of the Amherst, the AHL hockey team in Rochester, is threatening to pull the team if the arena doesn't get updated. That's how bad it is. And it shows when you watch a Nighthawk game. Like, watch a Rochester game and then watch a game from Colorado or Calgary or Toronto or Georgia, Buffalo. Like, some of these places, like, even even the, the quality and the, the footage, let alone the stream from Saskatchewan, was crystal clear. That arena looked incredible. Like, when the stream wasn't glitchy and pausing and starting and... Fragmenting and all that stuff. I don't know if I've seen a better looking rink on its opening day. Like that looked incredible. But then the next day you watch the game from Rochester and like someone hit an extra bank of lights. But that's just the way it is sometimes. You know, when you're not in 
big arenas, you don't have all these capabilities, or you're in old arenas that don't have all these capabilities. It's unfortunate. And that's, again, the process that this league needs to go to. Little things. Placement of the scoreboards in the webcasts. Don't put it at the bottom. Put it at the top. Put the away team first, the home team second. Little things. All things that Commissioner Nick Sakevich and his group are going to need to work on as he kind of goes through his checklist of things that he needs to work on. And I need to work on turning this thing off for this week. Um, my name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks to John Grant Jr. for stopping by and taking some time um, before he had to go coach Fowler Christian. Uh, I can't wait to catch up with him this weekend in Langley. I hope to see as many of you BC fans out there as I can. Stop by, say hello, and let me know how you feel. Thoughts, comments, questions. You can email me, uh, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash off the crossbar. I don't know why you gave you the, I gave you the website. I'm just, I'm just at off the crossbar. I love it. At off the crossbar. E on the end of cross. My name is Teddy Jenner. I'm out of here for this week. Enjoy the games only two. They're both on Saturday. Um, let's quickly get you the broadcast for those games. Uh, week four. All on Fox Sports Go. Um, NLLTV.com. That's where you can go and find all the broadcast stuff. Uh, the U.S. games are on the left. The Canada games on the right. If you're watching Fox Sports in Canada, you can do it. I, I watch it on my computer. I know people have said they've had issues watching on laptops or tablets or on their phone. If you can get it on a computer, watch it on a computer. You won't have any issues unless the stream is just unfortunately choppy. But for the most part, like kudos to everybody in the league for getting these games on Fox Sports Go streamed in Canada because it used to be geo-blocked. So kudos. I'm out of here. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Same time, same place, same lacrosse channel. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other.